Welcome to the 151st podcast and the 121st as a City on a Hill Church. This week, Pastor Mike continues in his study of Isaiah by opening chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. To show that these verses were prophetic even until today, some 2,600 years after they were written, Pastor Mike has entitled this message, When a Nation Forgets God. Unfortunately, there was a technical difficulty with the start of this message that we couldn't overcome. So the message begins as Pastor Mike uses Deuteronomy 7 and 8 as a support text. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish." As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. God blessed their socks off when they came into the promised land. It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And in the culture of this time, as in much of the world today, an agrarian society, uh, this would indicate, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey would indicate that it would be uh, green and it would be lush and there would be a plenty of grass and grazing land for your cattle and for your animals so that you would be able to milk and have plenty of milk, a land flowing with milk. Honey would indicate the fact that there would be pollinating bees that would be pollinating all your fields and all of your fruit trees and your olive trees and so forth. Uh, and so you would have overflowing milk from all of your cattle because of the, the, the beauty of, of the luscious land of the promised land of Israel. And you would have plenty of honey and bees to pollinate your crops. And this was God's blessing upon this nation. He says, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to dwell in cities that you did not build. You're going to eat from uh, the vineyards and, and, and from the crops that you didn't plant and from the fruit trees that you did not plant. I'm giving all of this to you, God says. And yet, exactly as God warned them, it would happen is what happened. That they began to feel, uh, I have done this. It's my power that has made me wealthy. It's my power. It's my strength that has made me successful. And God warns them and he says, do not be proud in your heart 
when you come into the land that I'm giving you, you're going to be blessed. I'm going to blow your, your minds. I'm going to blow your socks off. Think about it. They had been in uh, slavery in Egypt, living in a foreign land under a pagan king for 400 years prior to this. Then they'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they'd never known anything like this. None of them uh, in their memory had known anything like what they were about to experience as they went into the promised land. And yet God is saying, don't forget your God. Do not forget that it's God who called you. It's God who chose you, not because of anything in yourself that's good, but because I chose you, because I love you. You're my children. I'm your father. And do not forget your God. And yet that's exactly what they did. You know, that really is uh, the danger for any child of God. When you begin to prosper, when you begin to succeed, at whatever it is that you're doing, when you begin to accumulate wealth and land and, and businesses and assets and money and things, it becomes very easy to, number one, think that it's your own power that has accomplished this instead of that it's the power of God at work in your life because you're his child. And you begin to think, it's my hand, it's my doing, I, it's my power and strength that has led to my prosperity. And then they began to turn to other gods and worship the gods of the nations that, that God had judged, that God had given the land to from these pagan nations there in the land of Canaan. If you read the book of Judges, you see this cycle of the nation of Israel for 400 years. God blessed their socks off. They began to prosper. The nation of Israel began to prosper. They began to have military prowess against their enemies. They began to have economic power. Uh, they began to increase their wealth and their cattle and their flocks and their crops. And everything was going great. Uh, and then they began to seek after other gods. They began to become spiritually apathetic to the true worship of God. These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They played, paid God lip service. They said the right things, but in their hearts they were lusting after the gods of the heathen. And so they turned away from the true and living God and they went to worship the gods of the nations that God had pushed out of the land to make room for Israel. And then the chastening and the chastisement and the judgment of God came upon the nation. And they, they were just pummeled by their enemies because they turned away from God. And so God brought the other nations against them. Then they would be put back into bondage again, into servitude to the pagan nations around them. And what would they do? They lost all their wealth. They lost all their land. They lost all their prosperity. They cry out to God. They cry out to God. And what does God do? God saves them. God's so merciful. He's so patient. And he saves them. And he raised up judges to come and to judge the people and to turn them back to God. And, uh, and then there would be a great revival and the people would once again begin to see God's blessing upon their lives as they turned back to God wholeheartedly and worshipped Him and served Him with a whole heart. God poured out His blessings upon the nation as He promised that He would do. And then they began to seek after other gods again. And the cycle was repeated over and over and over again throughout the 400 years of the judges and really throughout all of Israel's history. The danger of prosperity and blessings. We read back in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4. 
Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors or corrupted children. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward or have backslidden. So he's calling them a sinful nation. They were supposed to be a righteous nation. They were supposed to be a light to all the nations of the earth, the nation of Israel. Here, the nation of Judah. Supposed to be a light to all of the Gentiles, a light to shine in the darkness so that people could come to know the true and the living God, the God who created everything, created the universe, created all life. And yet, God says you're a sinful nation. You're not a righteous nation. You're a people who is laden with iniquity or, or weighed down, burdened with this heavy burden carrying around sin. And uh, sin is a, is a heavy weight. It's, it's a heavy uh, chain to, to bear around your neck. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so sin is a weight. It drags you down. It holds you back. It destroys you. Uh, it, it's so interesting when you think about it, how we all sin, how we're all tempted to sin. Even when we're saved Christians, we still sin. We're still tempted with sin. Even though sin doesn't have the power over us that it once did, uh, it's still alluring to us. It's still attract, attractive to us to pull us away from God. And yet every single sin that the Bible forbids the child of God from participating in or from uh, practicing, every single sin that's forbidden by God is destructive. Sin by its very nature destroys. Sin will destroy your health. It will destroy your body. It will destroy your mind. It will destroy your friendships. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your nation. Sin is so destructive, and God is trying to help us. He's trying to protect us from sin. And yet, man is, is always uh, tempted to turn to that which destroys him. A people laden down with iniquity, a brood of evil doers. They were, they were evil doers, doing evil. Children who are corruptors, not, not just corrupted children, although they were that. They're his children, and they were corrupted children. But they're corruptors, children who are corruptors. They're corrupting others. You know, uh, none of us sin in a vacuum. When we sin, we always influence others by our sin. Um, sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. Sometimes it's the people that we don't want our sin to harm, and yet sin has that very destructive quality that it, it just destroys everything it touches. And so none of us uh, sin in a vacuum. We all are influencing others by the decisions we make, either to sin or to uh, um, obey the Lord. They have forsaken God. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They've made God angry. He's, he's tired of bearing with them. He's, he's just sick and tired of their hypocrisy. He says they have turned backward or they have backslidden. They've gone backward away from God into sin. God had warned Israel 
He was warning them again through the prophet Isaiah. He was, he was trying to reason with them. He was saying, this is reasonable. Uh, come and, and, and reason together with me. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you as white as snow. God didn't just write them off. He didn't just wipe them out. He continued to work with them. He continued to, to cry out to them. He continued to send his prophets to them. Uh, to call them back to himself. He didn't want to judge his people. He didn't want to destroy uh, the nation of Israel. And yet, uh, they would not have him to rule over them. They were constantly churning after other gods. Moses said, I set before you life and death. Choose life. And yet, for the most part, they chose death. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, and this is another scripture that, uh, or passage of scripture that is very prophetic, and that's why I want to read it to you here, because it's almost like God told him what was going to happen hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand through Moses, and then Isaiah is telling them, you know, you, you are now reaping the consequences of what Moses warned you about, the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 45, again, very clearly, If they were going to obey God and they were going to be a light uh, in the dark world, God was going to bless their socks off, which he did do. But if they turned away from God, uh, there was going to be literally hell to pay. There was going to be a severe price to pay because the wages of sin is death. Uh, There's always a price to pay for sin. Deuteronomy 28 verse 45. Moses says this. Moreover, All these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, You shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. It's exactly what they were facing when the Assyrians were camped at their doorstep, besieging the city of Jerusalem. Verse 50, he says, A nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. They shall eat the increase of your livestock, And the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, cannibalism, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel 
when the Assyrians or, or when uh, the city of Samaria was besieged, uh, they were, this is the northern tribe, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, they were arguing over who would eat whose child uh, when the children would die. Uh, they would eat the children because they were starving to death. Uh, the same thing happened to the southern tribes later, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the nation of Judah, when the Babylonians besieged the city of Jerusalem, they began to cannibalize their own and eat their own uh, dead. So God told them this was going to happen. It's exactly what happened. Verse 54, it says, The sensitive and the very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, eating their own dead children, because that's how desperate they were in starvation. Because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. The tender and the delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter her placenta which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring you back he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. This was written hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And God was actually, through Moses, detailing to them exactly what was going to happen to them. Both the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And it's, uh, it really is a, a, 
a terrifying thing, as the writer of Hebrews says, to fall into the hands of the living God, for God is holy. He's righteous. He's a consuming fire. He cannot abide sin. It's contrary to his nature. There is no sin in heaven. Everything is done according to the will of God in heaven. And, and so his people who are called by his name, they were to represent him. They were to live in a way that's different than all of the other nations. And yet uh, they became worse than the other nations because they knew better. And they turned away from the source of truth and life and light. And they turned to death and darkness and self-destruction. God poured his wrath upon his own people because he must judge sin. He's fair, he's righteous, he's patient, uh, but he is also holy. And because he's holy, he must judge sin. In Proverbs 14, 34, Solomon says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Always true. True for Israel, true today. Righteousness exalts a nation, brings the favor of God, brings the blessing of God upon that nation and upon those people. But sin is a reproach to any people. In Psalms, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 9, in verse 17, David, the psalmist, declares... The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That forget God. They turn away from God. They once knew God and yet they are rejecting God. They're turning away from God. And they are going to bring the judgment of God because now they're no longer righteous. They've forgotten God. Now they're the wicked. And God uh, will judge the wicked to hell, he says. And every nation, all nations that forget God. You know, this isn't just uh, relevant to Israel or, or, or to Judah. America is also a nation that God has blessed abundantly. As a matter of fact, God has blessed the nation uh, of America, the United States of America, really more than any other nation in history, in the history of the world. Uh, we are the most powerful economic nation. We are the most powerful uh, nation militarily in the history of the world. Not only are we the most wealthy nation in the world today, which we are, even after the stock market took a crash the last couple of days, we're still the wealthiest nation in the world. Not only are we the wealthiest nation in the world, we're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. The poorest people among us are wealthier and richer than 98% of the world's population to this day. Even the poorest among us. Uh, that's why people are always trying to come into our country across the borders from other countries. Uh, because at least there's opportunity here. At least there's government here to take care of your needs if you don't have the money to take care of your own needs. That's not the way it is around the rest of the world if you ever traveled around the world. Uh, people are just trying to scratch out a living, just trying to survive day to day. Not here in America. We are blessed beyond imagination in America. We're blessed economically. Militarily, we have the strongest military in the world. You could combine China, Russia, and pretty much all the, the military uh, powers of Europe, and then maybe they would be able to compete with us militarily. I mean, we are so much more powerful militarily than any other nation in the world. It's not even funny. 
That's the blessing of God upon our nation. That's his blessing upon us. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be the most powerful nation in the world. Look at us. Look at America. You see, so we're really not much different than Israel. We think, well, it's because it's me. It's because I'm an American. It's because I've, you know, got this great education or because uh, I've, you know, been born to this great family or, or whatever it is. I deserve these blessings. We deserve this power. We deserve this wealth. We deserve this military prowess. No, we don't. It's the blessing of God upon our nation. And if we turn away from God as a nation, God will turn his back on us and we will not be the exception to the rule. If God judged Israel, which he did, if God judged Judah, which he did, God will one day judge America. He has to because we are, uh, we know better. We're a Christian nation. We were founded on 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 the basis of Christianity. Our foundation, our founding fathers, came over here from Great Britain so that they could worship God freely, the pilgrims, the Quakers, so that they could come and they could worship God. They could worship Jesus Christ. We put in God we trust on our coins. And and we knew that when we were saying in God we trust, we knew which God we were talking about. We were talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of, of Christianity, Jesus Christ, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That's the God in whom we trust. We put it on our coins. One nation under God. The Pledge of Allegiance. We teach the children to say, which God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our founding fathers knew who God was. And they came here to be able to build a nation to worship God freely. That we wouldn't have the the confines and the restrictions of a state church. In the Church of England... Uh, the king was the head of the church and then you had the bishops under him and so the king was the religious leader of the church for uh, most of uh, of of the known world in the 15th century, 16th century, 17th century and yet the kings were corrupt to the core. The church was corrupt. Uh, in England. And so our, our, our forefathers came here to this nation so that they could worship God without having to bow the knee to a king or to a pope to be able to say, we want to worship God and we want to serve him and we want to raise our families in the ways of the Lord. This is why it's, it's, it's part of our uh, constitution. It's, it's part of our rights that we have as Americans. The right of free speech so that we can preach the gospel. The right of assembly so that we can get together like we are here and meet in the name of Jesus Christ. The freedom of religion so that we can worship God without a church like uh, Rome uh, dictating how it is or the Church of England or any of the churches of Europe where the king is the head of the church or the queen is the head of the church. And yet, as God has blessed us, we're a nation who has forgotten God. We've taken for granted all of his blessings which he has poured out upon us. And as Billy Graham has, has rightly said, uh, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because look at us. Who do we think we are? To be able to call ourselves a Christian nation and to do the things that we do as a nation. God is very patient. He's very long-suffering. He's very merciful, and yet he must judge sin. And a nation that turns against God, God will judge. We continue in verse 5. God says, Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. 
The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. God is saying, you're sick. You're a sick nation. You're a sick people. You don't even recognize how sick you are. You're, you're, you're on death's door. You've got a terminal disease called sin, and yet you're not even dealing with it. You're not uh, uh, taking responsibility for yourself. You're not trying to even turn to God to make yourself well. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot to the head, there's no soundness. Wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. They've not been closed. They haven't been bound up or soothed with ointment. They're just, you're just a mess, God is saying, spiritually speaking. That's how God saw the nation of Israel, and no doubt uh, that is probably how he sees our nation here in America today. He says in verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And this was exactly the condition of the nation of Judah during the time of Hezekiah as the Assyrians were capturing one walled city after another after another coming down from the north after they'd conquered the nation of Israel. They were just steadily wearing away and picking away and conquering the nation of Judah until they came right to the the capital, Jerusalem, and besieged Jerusalem. Verse 8, he says, So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard or a tabernacle in a vineyard as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. So now he's talking about Jerusalem being the equivalent of like a temporary tabernacle or tent or lean-to in in the middle of of, of a field. The uh, people at this time in the agrarian society, they would typically live in the cities uh, during the winter months. And then in the spring and the early summer, they would go out to their plots of land and they would work their land. And they would, you know, plow and plant and, and, and so forth. And then they would uh, uh, take their harvest in the, in the fall and they would take all of the things that they grew and they would bring them into the city and sell them in the city. And they'd live in the city again during the winter months. And it would repeat again in the spring and the summer. And, and when they lived inside, uh, when they lived in their fields, they just set up a real temporary sort of a shelter, just with sticks and a thatched roof. And it, it wasn't a permanent dwelling place. It was just a temporary place while they were working their fields. Uh, and God is saying, that that's like the city of Jerusalem. You guys are like those just living in a hut in the middle of a cucumber field. You're besieged all around you. They're just oblivious to this, apparently. Verse 90 says, Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So now God is comparing them to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah who he absolutely, completely, and totally wiped out with fire and brimstone from heaven, just obliterated the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying, you are just like this. And if it were not for the remnant, the righteous remnant who still feared God, who still served God, who still loved God, if it were not for the remnant, you would have been wiped out, just like Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out. But for the sake of the remnant, God says, I am showing you mercy. 
I am uh, showing you long suffering. And thank God, guys, for the remnant that uh, loves the Lord here in America. You're part of the remnant, by the way, here tonight. Or you wouldn't be here in a Bible teaching church on a Wednesday night if you were not the remnant of God. And so it's the remnant of God that God continues to shower his blessings and his mercy upon our nation as we stand against the evil tide of wickedness that is being thrust upon us everywhere we go, everywhere we turn in our country. Now, it's interesting that Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, were known for the sins of sexual perversion, specifically the sin of homosexuality. Uh, But if you really look at the roots of the sin, the fruit of the sin of Sodom, of course, is that sexual perversion. Uh, But the roots of the sin of Sodom, God tells us in Ezekiel chapter 16 what they are. Ezekiel 16 verse 48 says this. As I live, says the Lord, neither you, uh, as I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Now we're going to think he's going to say that it's homosexuality, but that's not what he says. The roots of the sin of Sodom, he says. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom, Ezekiel 16, 49. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Verse 50. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. And so from God's perspective, the roots of the sin of Sodom, the roots were not the practice of homosexuality. That was the end result. The roots of the sin of Sodom was pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, and you didn't look after the poor and the needy. And if you look at any nation that has eventually wholeheartedly and wholesale uh, embraced homosexuality and all kinds of sexual perversion, you see that this, these are the conditions of those nations. Prosperity, pride, abundance of idols, way too much time on your hands. To, you just get into trouble because you have all, all your needs are met. You have all the food you could eat. You have way too much time on your hands. You're filled with pride, thinking that it's because uh, of your greatness that you're so pros- prosperous and blessed. And you don't look after the poor and the needy. That's the root of the sin of Sodom. If you look at the Greek Empire, that was exactly where they were uh, before they embraced sexual perversion and homosexuality and then were conquered by the Romans. If you look at the Roman Empire at their peak, same thing, same conditions until they went into uh, mass sexual perversion, homosexuality, and so forth. And then they crumbled, they collapsed. You look at the great British Empire, same thing. You know, Great Britain is not so great anymore. Uh, The British Empire does not uh, cover the whole earth anymore. At one point, the British Empire uh, covered half the earth. They said the sun never set on the British Empire. Not so anymore. The British Empire keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, weaker and weaker. Why? Because they've turned their back on God. And America will be no different than these nations. No different. We must recognize our God. We must recognize that the blessings that we enjoy come from God, and we don't deserve them. It's His blessings upon us. How could we go after other gods? How could we worship sex and pleasure and money in these things? 
when God has been so good to us? The key for Israel, and we're not going to go any further, we'll pick up next week, but uh, the key is to repent, to agree with God. It's a reasonable thing to do. God says, come, let's reason together. I'm reasonable. I'm reasoning with you. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you as white as snow. We must repent. We must agree with God. We must confess that we're sinners. We must confess our sins, and he will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. And the truth is not in us. Jesus said, to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's New Testament, guys. Repent to the church in the New Testament from Jesus himself. To the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke, I chasten. So be zealous, therefore, and repent. One more scripture I'd like to look at here. The prophet Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 18. I'll read this to you. The nature of God, the, the, the mercy of God, the love of God. Who is, like, uh, who is a God like you? Micah seven eighteen, Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God doesn't want to judge us. He doesn't want to judge our nation. He doesn't want to judge us as individuals. But we have to agree with God. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. And if we do wrong, we have to repent of it. We have to turn away from it. And we have to seek the Lord. And put the Lord first. And then he will once again pour out his blessing upon us. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California. Thank you.